Welcome today to the message that we're going to share in the Faith Alive series and this one is called Faith and Works. Now we've all heard quite a lot of messages about faith and why not? It's central to our Christian life. And the Bible says we should walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, Paul uh, devoted a whole letter of Galatians to this topic of faith versus works, or legalism, really. So a good understanding of this topic is really critical to build the strong foundation for our faith in God. Today we're going to talk mostly about the faith that saves us, and what's the place of the stuff we do, the works we do in our Christian life. Okay, there's some aspects we need to know about faith first, and the first one comes from last week where we talked about repentance. Repentance comes before true faith. Repentance is a change of mind followed by a change in our actions or in the directions of our life, basically a change from trusting in ourselves to acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. And there's some aspects of true faith that are important. The first one is that faith relates to things we can't see. If we can see them, we don't need faith. And uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says we walk by faith and not by sight. They're quite opposite things. The second thing is that faith is primarily about character and not about um, emotion or doctrine. It comes from the heart and it's a matter of continuing on, of being faithful to believe the words of Jesus in our lives in a continuing kind of way, a persevering way. It's not just a sudden thunderbolt. It's something that changes us and we continue in that. The third thing is that faith brings confession. And confession is declaring what our faith means to us. True faith will lead us to speak with our mouths what we believe in our hearts. And as we confess or speak it out, we allow God more space in our lives to function as our high priest because Hebrews 3.1 says that he is the high priest of our confession. He's the high priest who we acknowledge. So the more we acknowledge or confess him, the more able he is to work in us. And the fourth thing is that faith will be tested. It's not an easy ride. We must never teach anyone that uh, walking in faith in Jesus Christ is the easy way. It's not. It's the narrow, difficult way, but it's the worthwhile way. So when our faith is tested, we should be joyful. Um, we can read that in James 1, because God's doing something of great value in our lives, not just for this life, but for us eternally. So a few de definitions. Faith is really, in short, what we believe. Whereas works, looking at what's in the Bible, that's what we do. And we talk about the gospel. What's the gospel? So if we look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2, this is what it says. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved, 
If you firmly believe the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And here's what he preached. For what I received, on, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the twelve and after that many more people. So there's three things that are the basis of our faith. Three historical facts. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised again on the third day. To believe the gospel, we need to believe these facts. And our most important authority for these facts is the word of God, the Bible. Eyewitnesses are great, and uh, Paul here talked about many people he knew who actually saw Jesus after he rose from the dead, but the scripture is the ultimate authority. Paul declares here that we have to receive these facts by faith to be saved, not about doing any works. When we believe them and receive them, then God will count us as righteous. It's not about what we do, but it's about what we believe. So when we talk about it's not by works that we are saved, we want to look at Romans chapter 4. So turn to Romans chapter 4. This is an example, the example that Paul uses is of Abraham's faith. So we'll look at verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? And we should always ask that question. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Wow. So what uh, Paul is saying is that Abraham, the man of faith, was a man of faith because he believed and not because of what he did. Look at verse 5. It says, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited or counted as righteousness. As long as you think you can earn righteousness by what you do, you won't receive it. It's the hardest truth for religious people to grasp. You can't earn God's favour. You can't do anything, no good works, no charity work, no nothing like that will get the favour of God to give you eternal life. You have to stop trying. That's the best thing you can do is stop trying. It doesn't mean works aren't important, but they follow true faith. They don't come before it. Let's check this out in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. I'll just turn there. 
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift. It's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. That's the hard truth. We can't do it ourselves. We can't even boast about the fact that we had the faith for salvation. Because God says he gave that to us too. We can't even produce that in ourselves. Anything we can produce in ourselves fosters pride. And you can look at religions all over the world. And the more difficult they are, the more they foster pride. People are saying, I did it. Wow, I did all those difficult things. I achieved all those steps. No, it's not working with God. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, the same thing happens to us about feeling proud. If we become legalistic, if we feel that we're going to follow laws and we're going to um, get God's favor by doing things that he likes. You know, there is a place for works and we have a look in verse 10, Ephesians 2.10, it says, it's not by works that anyone can boast, but we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has prepared good works for us to do, but we have to get the order right. We need to repent and then to believe in faith in Jesus, grabbing hold of the gift he gives us of being able to believe. And then we can walk in the good works that he's prepared for us. We have to get rid of the old fleshly nature and be created anew by faith so that we can then walk in God's good works. And, you know, the good news is you don't have to stress yourself out trying to decide what good works you should do. God's already done that part. Don't try to make your own plan. Find God's plan. It can be really different from what we thought we might do, and it's always better, more wonderful, more exciting. And I look back on my life, I can just say that is so true. So many times the things I would have done have not been as good as God's plan. So we want to talk a little bit about grace here because God says that it's by grace that we have been saved through faith. faith. Now, grace has a, a, a couple of meanings. It, one of the meanings is comeliness or beauty. And this is the comeliness and beauty that God gives us when we believe in him. But there's another meaning, which is like grace is something that you can't earn, but it's freely given. And the third uh, meaning of grace is grace is the empowerment that God gives us to live in his righteous way. He gives us the power we can't drum up the ability to do it ourselves. Okay, so Romans talks about righteousness before God, being righteous before God. And, uh, you know, we can get all legalistic about the rules we might follow, might follow to be like this. But 
the Lord makes it very clear there are no rules, no laws that can make us righteous. Now, the law of Moses in the Old Testament was a whole system that God gave in order to expose mankind or humankind's sin problem. There's nothing wrong with that. It diagnoses it, it shows it, but it doesn't and it can't solve it. This problem can only be solved by grace. We need the law to get us to that point where we see that we can't do it. We need God's grace to help us. So here I'm just going to read from James. James chapter 2 verse 10. And this says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you don't commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. That's pretty uh, salutary, the fact that 99% of keeping a law, laws is not enough. The whole system falls when you fall on one thing. Nobody except Jesus was ever able to keep the commands. You know, uh, you probably know some people who have their own rules for life. They've got the rules that they've chosen and they feel happy about and they're keeping them and feeling good about it. But you know, if our rules are wrong, if the ones we choose are wrong or incomplete, even if we keep them, we won't be made righteous by keeping them. The law or the rules, any rules, and grace are mutually exclusive. You can't have both of them. It's one or the other. If you choose law, you have to keep every single bit. If you choose grace, God says, I will do it. Just let me help you to, to do this with my grace that I give you as a gift. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. The only way to escape from the dominion of sin, or the territory of sin, is to stop trying to keep a law and reach out for God's grace. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. So the alternative to keeping a set of rules is being regularly led by the Holy Spirit. We can't do both. So many people only go to the Holy Spirit when they've got trouble. They feel like they can do most of it themselves. They can do everyday life, most of these things by themselves. But when they get into trouble, they run back to, to the Holy Spirit to help them. And then they get drift away again because they feel like, I can do it. I can do it independently. But being led by the Holy Spirit is a major theme of the New Testament. This is what the, whole, the Lord says is the way for us to live daily, hourly, minutely. If we don't learn this, we live in this kind of twilight state, a sort of halfway, halfway trusting our own little set of rules and then halfway in grace when we desperately need some help. And, you know, sometimes we find that these rules um, make us into this little club. Many churches and groups have sets of rules, and if we belong, 
we try and keep them but they don't make us righteous no matter how good the rules are they only make us a member of the group and to be honest in the church uh, these little sets of rules that different groups hold on to um, are a great source of division in the body of Christ it sort of makes people feel like they're a little bit more righteous than that other group. Well, we believe this because that group doesn't and, and that's wrong. Or we do this and it, and it uh, causes uh, us to be, well, just to, it, it certainly causes superiority to be felt by some people. And this is not God's way. If we get focused on rules and how much we have to obey them, we'll probably miss out on faith. And we don't want to miss out on faith. So when we talk about the law, we also see that the law does not lead us to faith at all. It won't point us that way. Let's look at Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 and this gives us a, a remarkable picture of our connection that what our connection's been like with the law or with rules of trying to do things ourselves independently of God okay Romans chapter 7 verse 4 so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. And in some translations, it talks about us having been married to the law. Now that's a very close bond. The only way out of this is by death. And this was through the death of Jesus on the cross. He brought the whole system of the law to an end. The death of the law means a person can now be married to someone else. And, you know, we are the bride of Christ, our Messiah. And our, our great joy is to bring forth fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in us brings forth fruit in our lives so verse 5 here in chapter 7 for when we were in the realm of the flesh the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so we bore fruit for death but now by dying to what once bound us we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code we can see here that what the law does produce is more sin which is fruit to death or fruit for death it's not fruit of life when we have the law it just shows us more about the sin and it gives more power to sin there's nothing wrong with the law the problems in us the law works on the outside saying do this no don't do that and we decide what we'll do or what we won't do but in doing this we're trusting our own ability and you know there's a there's a, a, a human problem right from the fall and that problem is we don't 
want to depend on God. We want to do it independently, by ourselves. And you know, sin really is things that we want to do independently from God and not as part of our walk with him. If we think back to the very beginning to the Garden of Eden, uh, Satan said that if Adam and Eve ate, they'd be like God. That's in Genesis 3. Well, that's not bad. That's great. But the problem was they would be like God without depending on God. And that is not great. Because the Lord has made us so that we would be interconnected with him. So sin at its very center is the refusal to depend on God. It's not necessarily one particular evil thing that we do like murder or gossip or lies, but it's our attitude of self-reliance that shuts God's grace out from our lives. And you know, really this is a harder flaw to deal with or to have dealt with than um, something like drunkenness or something like that. It's harder to deal with this attitude of independence now, I mean, if we look into the Bible, we see that there's two types of creatures who've wanted to be independent from God. And the first ones were the fallen angels that joined Satan in his rebellion. Uh, and uh, they, the one thing they wanted was they wanted to do things apart from God. The second type of people were humans after the fall. They wanted to say, I've done it myself. I can do it myself. I don't need anyone, including God. We love to control ourselves, to control things around us. How many people don't like to be in control? And this is a big basic problem of humanity, the desire and need to be in control. Whereas God says, I'm in charge. And look, this is the best place for you to be. And by grace, he works this into our lives step by step. So God uses the law to diagnose our problem and convince us that we have a problem here in our sinful nature. And then we need to know what the remedy is. So Romans 10 verse 4. So we're a lot in Romans because Romans really talks a lot about the law and grace. So Romans 10 verse 4. Christ it says, is the culmination or the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So Christ offers us a new way of being righteous with God, living by faith. Now in Galatians, Paul spent a whole book dealing with one of the problems of the law, and this was legalism. Now, legalism is basically working hard at following a set of rules um, to achieve what you want to achieve. Um, Paul considered this was a more serious threat than other things because it's so subtle. It appears so good, so it's hard to deal with it. It's hard for it to be delivered. Romans, uh, no, we'll go to Galatians now. Galatians chapter 1, 6 and 7. So Galatians is the book Paul wrote about this problem in this particular church, and he was horrified about it. 
he most of the books he tells people nice things first before he goes into the other things he wants to discuss but in Galatians he's right onto it um, he hasn't got anything to say to soften it <coughs> excuse me in verse 6 to 7 he says I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all and he says uh, in another place who has bewitched you uh, Derek Prince, uh, who I'm indebted to for a lot of this material, um, mentions that in his life he has seen examples of an influential person casting a controlling gaze over a person or a congregation and it's like they are bewitched. It produces spiritual deadness, fear and confusion. You see, look at chapter 3, verse 1 here. This is what he says, Oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing, one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Holy Spirit, now you're trying to finish by means of the flesh and you know this is often a problem in the church today as well as other places that we began something in a way with God and we've slipped back into a fleshly way of looking at it a whole set of rules which is doing things in the flesh and uh, what Paul says here is like my goodness uh, you began so well you began in the power of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, when you received the, the Holy Spirit filling. But you've slipped from that place. And the problem with uh, trying to keep the law is it brings a curse of its own. If you look at verse 10 here, it says, All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who doesn't continue to do everything written in the book of the law. If you're trying to keep the law, it's possible to come under a curse. People who begin in the spirit and then try to be made perfect under the law can come under a curse. Jeremiah 17.5 says, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. And we have to be careful as a church and as individuals that we don't move away from walking in the Holy Spirit to following the rules of the flesh. If we aren't moving from the Holy Spirit's grace within us to a set of external rules or our own ability. This stops God from working how he wants. And, you know, in my own experience, I've found that um, when we, our relationship with God is neglected and it becomes weaker, that's the point where we start to like rules and regulations because they're easy to follow. You can see this is right, that's not right, you know, but that's not the way God wants us to walk. He wants us to walk being led 
by the Holy Spirit, just going hand in hand with the Holy Spirit, listening to him as we go. You know, in the uh, <coughs> book of Peter, Peter talks about how to walk as Christians, and one of his themes is he says, be holy, be holy. Now, we mock this word holy, but actually holy means set apart. And holy in the Bible is set apart to God. It's not trying hard. It's not um, doing it ourselves. What Jesus says to us, would you let me live out my holiness in you? And that's totally different. When we try to be holy, we can't do it because then we get into the law. But Jesus says to us, I want to live out my holiness in you. That's so different, relying on the grace of God and not on my own efforts. The positive effect of being holy, of being righteous, is love. Living according to the Holy Spirit is a life of love. And we see that in Matthew 22. So let's turn to Matthew 22, verse 35. And um, there was a, a famous question asked of Jesus. That's where this teaching comes from. Matthew 22, verse 35. So this is an expert in the law, and he asked him this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Now, he probably was trying to catch out Jesus. But Jesus just answered him the truth. He, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Our obligation is to love. That is the righteous requirement of the law. It's to love. Romans 13.8 says, um, this is Paul's advice, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. So one of the results of faith is love. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And James says, Faith without works is dead. So this is where we get the order. If you have the faith, that naturally leads to works. Faith without any works is useless. Because the result of real, pure, true faith is the works of love that Christ sows in us. In 1 Corinthians 13, 2, it says that you can do all kinds of good works, but if you don't have love, it, it counts for nothing. Um, knowledge, in the Bible it says knowledge alone puffs, it, puffs up, makes people proud, and that's not the goal of any teaching or any way of life to make people proud. The goal is 
love. And when we stray from that goal, we're just full of empty talk. And you know, Jesus works this way with us as well. He motivates us through love. Fear doesn't produce the right results. And Jesus motivates us through love, not fear. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And learning to live a life of love doesn't just happen all at once. It's something that's progressive that we walk step by step and the Lord teaches us as we go. It's not a matter of earning any good stuff with God. We're already counted righteous by God's grace, not by our efforts. But as long as we continue believing, our faith um, is the one thing that gives us righteousness, but we are compelled to live a life of love because of Jesus. I look at it like this, really, you know, um, obedience is like our love language to Jesus. When Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is our love language to our Saviour who's given us so much. Yes, we want to follow him. We want to obey him because we love him and we, we're so grateful to him for what he's done for us. And the other thing is that love brings freedom. When we love people, we're free. We're not tied up with the law and rules we should do here and there. We are free. I think that is just one of the most amazing things about the our walk with the God when, God, when we stop trying to be independent, which we think will bring us freedom. We're free from everything. We can do anything we like. Some people tag on as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Not sure about that. But um, the true freedom of the Lord doesn't come that way. It comes from walking in, um, closely with the Lord. So just to recap, at the beginning of our Christian journey, there's three words, repentance, faith, and works. And if we mix them up or miss something out, we get the wrong result. If we have faith but no repentance, well then very often we're deceived because we haven't got the true picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Repentance comes first and empties us of sin. Faith comes next. It's not rules that come next. If rules come next, we get legalistic and um, we get we are based in rules and not in love. Faith comes, we believe, and this long-term decision with actions follows. These are the actions that um, the Bible wants us to be part of. First, repentance, which means emptying ourselves. Second, faith, which is believing and changing the way we walk. And the third thing is it leads us to actions, not dead works, but works that are because we love Jesus, not relying on our own efforts, but coming out of faith. It brings freedom and it brings the light of Jesus to those that we love as well. So thank you very much for today and I hope that you are able to think some more on these things and grab some important things for your own life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
that we do not have to work hard at things to try to measure up to a standard where we can be your children. We thank you, Lord, that it is by a gift from you that we believe. It is grace that gives us the gift of salvation. We thank you so much, Lord, that then you have prepared a way of love for us to walk. We don't have to wonder what that is. You will tell us and we will walk hand in hand with your Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, Lord, for the gift of faith. Thank you for walking with us. We want to be led by your Holy Spirit every day of our lives. Amen.